So we are finishing up our series where we've been looking at 1 John. Uh, I encourage you this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you will turn to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we are going to finish up uh, reading uh, this uh, this chapter at the end of the chapter, but go ahead and get there so that when we get to the scripture, uh, I'll remind you that we have devotions for you. Uh, again, as you're leaving today, if you want to pick one up, they are here at the altar. If you're going towards Sunday school class, they're on the bench here as you're going out this door. Or if you're exiting today and the narthex on the glass table, uh, you can pick these up. This is a way for us to kind of read, uh, think through some same questions together. Uh, as we are individually in different locations through the week. It's just kind of a way for us to kind of be studying and reading uh, all at the same time. So I invite you to take advantage of that. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5, and we'll go into detail in it, but we're going to uh, read from verses 13 through 21. Scripture reads this way. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son so that you can know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in our relationship with God. If we ask for anything in agreement with his will, he listens to us. If we know that he listens to whatever we ask, we know that we have received what we asked from him. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin that does not result in death, they should pray and God will give life to them. That is to those who commit sins that don't result in death. There is a sin that results in death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Every unrighteous action is sin, but there is a sin that does not result in death. We know that everyone born from God does not sin, but the ones born from God guard themselves, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that God's Son has come and has given us understanding to know the one who is true. We are in the one who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, these final nine verses basically contain John's summary of everything that he has said throughout his letter. Everything that we've been reading and studying, we kind of see summarized in these last nine verses. And John is responding to a group of believers who were in the church in Ephesus. He's responding to them because they have written uh, a letter of concern to John about people um, leaving the church. And so what they're seeing happen is, is that people are kind of going to the church down the road uh, because it's a little fancier. uh, And John is looking at that when he hears their concern and he's like, wait a minute. But, but they're teaching something that is not of Jesus. So church, remember that. Remember the truth. And so we have to, to be aware of the context that's going on. In, in 1 Timothy, look at this passage here. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this. If anyone teaches anything different and doesn't agree with sound teaching about our Lord Jesus Christ and teaching that is consistent with godliness... That person is conceited. They don't understand anything but have a sick obsession with debates and arguments. This creates jealousy, conflict, verbal abuse, and evil suspicions. So unlike the Ephesians, John is not shaken. In fact, what you see in John's words is he writes to these remaining Christians. He writes and he reminds them over and over and over again. 
Abide in Christ. Put, put your trust in the truth of Jesus Christ. 27 times he refers to abiding and remaining in God. Remember what the truth is. And so he speaks to them in a number of different voices. What you see throughout John's writings is you see John coming to the church as, as a father, grandfather, if you will. If you remember John at this point in time in his life, he's much older. And so he is writing back to the church and you get this feeling of compassion. He loves the church. He loves the people in the church. He has deep concern for the people. And so you hear terms of endearment of beloved and little children. You see words of encouragement. You see words of support. And you see words of strengthening. But you also hear a voice that John comes to the church as a teacher. So he's not just... Uh, a pastor or a father, he's, he's, he's a teacher. And so he begins to ask questions because he realizes that faith is not just rooted in feelings. And so he poses questions to the church. And I think that we're supposed to kind of answer some of those questions. Who's Jesus? I mean, we in the church are supposed to wrestle with that same question. Who is Jesus to you? What did, what did Jesus do? We're supposed to think through, what do we know that Jesus did? If we believe in Jesus Christ, do we keep sinning? We're supposed to wrestle with a question like that. We're supposed to wrestle with can I believe in Jesus and not love my fellow Christians? How are we supposed to relate to people who are outside the fellowship? See, John knows firsthand that it's in the wrestling of those questions that we come to understand belief or unbelief. And so we are challenged to think through those questions for ourselves. So you see John as pastor and a father. You see John as a teacher. But then you also see John speaking as a prophet. And so he draws very clear lines. We're either in the fellowship of God or we're not. We either believe or we don't. Jesus is either Lord or he's not. We're either people of light or we hide in the darkness. And here's the truth. You know this as much as I do in that we like to hear John teach us. We love for John to be our pastor and to be our father and to speak words of encouragement. It is difficult to hear John as a prophet because that makes us uncomfortable. I challenge you, no matter where you are when you walk in this door, listen to his words. Whatever you need to learn, whatever, whatever place you're in, 
his goal throughout the gospel, I mean, throughout this book, is, is the same for all of us. It is to assure people who believe in Jesus Christ of eternity, but to understand that belief, our actions are changed, our words are changed, our behaviors are changed. It's all connected. Look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son so that you can know that you have eternal life. In other words, if, if you want to kind of think about what does it mean to be Christian, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, read 1 John. Even if you haven't done any of the devotions, if you haven't, this week, just take time to read John's words. Because he's writing for a purpose to us, the church. And what he understands and what he believes is, is that, that being a Christian should make us different. Different in our relationship with God, different in our relationship with each other in the community, and different with the world around us. And so look at what it says in verses 14 through 15. This is the confidence, because it's talking about the relationship that we have with God. This is the confidence that we have in our relationship with God. If we ask for anything in agreement with his will, he listens to us. If we know that he listens to whatever we ask, we know that we have received what we asked from him. Now, up until this point, John has spoke about being confident in God a couple of different times, but it's always about in the future, about we are confident in in God's return, in Christ's return. We're confident in the, in the, in the future uh, of a judgment. We're confident in those. But now he's speaking about we can be confident in the now. Today, I can be confident in my relationship with God. And so he encourages those of us who, who know Jesus Christ to put our trust in God and that we can confidently speak to the Father in prayer. That as his children, we have the freedom. Listen, we have the freedom to approach God anywhere, anytime, during the day, in this place, outside this place, wherever we are, we have the freedom to be able to approach the, the creator of the universe. We have that freedom to be able to do that. We have confidence Fearful confidence as we approach God. But we also have to recognize that this intimacy is with a holy God. Right? We have the ability to come into the presence of God, but God is holy. As we approach him, we need to be mindful of that. We often just kind of just begin to just speak into God without we stopping thinking about who it is that we are speaking to. If you go and read Isaiah, Isaiah receives this vision and finds himself in front of God, in God's throne room, and angels flying everywhere around him. And in that moment, he realizes how holy God is and how holy he is not. Listen to his words that he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. King Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes. 
Don't be quick with your mouth or say anything hastily before God because God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Man, maybe more of us should listen to the word of God as we approach God. Maybe we would do a little bit more listening and a little less speaking. Let our words be few. Let our words be in a place of humility as we recognize how holy God is. And John says that our Father hears everything that we ask in accordance with His will. And I want you to understand, this is more than just simply telling God everything you want and then just attaching this phrase at the end, thy will be done. Right? I mean, how many of us, I won't get you to raise your hand for that one. How many of us, we, that's kind of how we resonate with prayer. Okay, God, this is everything that I need you to do for me. Thy will be done. There's more to that than this. In other words, we have to stop viewing God as a vending machine where we just approach him for what we need and then we either move on to a different vending machine or we move over to something that we like. We approach God because God is holy. God is creator and God listens to us. Prayer is not an opportunity for us to impose our will on God. Prayer is an opportunity for us to seek God's voice and listen and be changed, right? I mean, to be changed forever. That's how we grow in our relationship through prayer. And so John says that our relationship with God is intimate and that he listens to us. And not only does he listen, he responds to us. So what that tells me is that if I'm praying for something and, and it's not happening, then one of three things probably. One, I am not praying in accordance with God's will. Or I don't like the delay that God's maybe giving me a different answer. Or I'm really not asking. I'm telling Challenge yourself to take heart what John is saying, that we have a God who listens to us and responds to us. And if we call it, we claim it, we know it, that it says that God's already done it. This is the kind of relationship that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And it says that not only are we changed in our relationship with God, but we are changed with our relationship with each other as fellow believers. We find this intimacy with God through prayer, but we also find intimacy with each other as we respond and grow in fellowship with each other. The reality is the fact that Jesus Christ has saved, my, saved me does not give me permission to neglect you or anyone. The fact that God has saved you does not give you the ability to neglect each other. In fact, I believe it calls us to something greater. Instead of being my brother's competitor, I am my brother's keeper. You are your brother's and sister's keeper. The maturity of our church 
is not based on how many people worship on Sunday morning. Listen to that. The maturity of our church is not based on our worship attendance. That's the world's view of what's successful. The maturity of our church is not based on how many programs we have for you or for anyone else. The maturity of our church is not built on how big of a building we have. The maturity of our church is based on how you are committed to each other and how we are committed to reaching those who are not here. That's the maturity of our church. Ephesians 2 and 4 through 2 through 4 says that we need each other in order to prosper and to, to grow and to, to thrive. That I cannot do this on my own. You cannot do this on your own. We, we need each other to be able to do this. I mean, the reality is um, if all of my prayers are based on my personal needs, I need to check that. Because I need you. And whether you think it or not, you need me. We need each other. Look at what it says in verses 16 through 17. If anyone sees a brother or sister committing a sin that does not result in death, they should pray. And God will give life to them. That is to those who commit sins that don't result in death. There is a sin that results in death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. Every unrighteous action is sin, but there is a sin that does not result in death. Now, when John is talking about brother or sister here, John, he, he means a fellow believer, those of us who profess in Christ, that if we see a brother, if we see a sister in sin, that we should, that we should pray for him or her. Now, seeing, here's really important, seeing requires me to be with you. I cannot see you from afar. If, if I make a decision that I see a brother or sister in sin from afar, let's be honest, that's judgment, right? But if I come alongside, I have one of my best friends for years, we've been having accountability. He sees sin in my life often before I see sin in my life. He'll be like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Because he's come alongside me. He can see me. So community is not an afterthought. God commands us to come alongside and be with each other. That's what he tell, that's, how, that's how we grow and that's how we mature in our faith as we come alongside and we begin to see each other. And then what does it tell us to do? Does it tell us to go to our friends and see if they see them too? No. Doesn't tell us to go into our small groups and talk about the sin that we see. It says, when you see your brother or sister, pray for them. Pray that they may have life. Because we know that sin leads to death. It is pray that God can move in their life in a way where they have a desire to grow and to, to change and to be different 
So we begin to pray that God helps them to be able to come to a place where they confess that sin and they repent of that sin. But we want to jump to this aspect, forget the part of seeing. And that's the part that really I challenge you. How are you doing at seeing your brothers and sisters? How are you doing at seeing each other and allowing each other to come inside? God says it's important. God says, I can't do this walk without you and you can't do this walk without me. Pray for each other. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy 2. God's slave, some translations will say God's servant. God's slave shouldn't be argumentative, but should be kind towards all people, able to teach, patient, and should correct opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will change their mind and give them a knowledge of the truth. This letter concludes with with John affirming that that we know that we are with the one true God. And what we know distinguishes us from a world that knows nothing. Listen to what it says in verses 18 through 21. We know that everyone born from God does not sin, but the ones born from God guards themselves and the evil one cannot touch them. We know we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that God's son has come and has given us understanding to know the one who is true. We are in the one who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. See, we know that God gives people new life. We know that God gives people new hearts. We know that God transforms people. My hope is that we know it because we have been transformed. That's how I know it. I know it because God has moved in me. God has transformed me. God has given me a new heart. God has given me new life. We know that God protects us. We know that we have the ability to to reside and abide in Christ. We know that God forgives us. We know that we have the ability to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and that God sent his Holy Spirit to us so that we can discern truth, that we can know what truth is. We know that Jesus Christ came to this earth and uh, lived, died, and, and was resurrected. We know that Jesus is not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good guy. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We know this. And so John's final words encourage us when we find ourselves discontented to look and see if we're finding meaning outside of Jesus Christ. Because if we are, we've created an idol. Our purpose and our meaning outside of Jesus Christ. And so he says, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves as believers against that. By grace, we have been reborn. By grace, we have been forgiven. By grace, we are led by God. By grace, we are able to give God the glory. By grace, we are able to experience joy in this life.
all by the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for your word, for John's word for us. We thank you that you are a God who loves us. Lord, we, we thank you that we have the ability, because of the relationship that we have with you, that, we, that even in this moment, we're not talking to each other, that we're talking to you, our creator. Let us let's be different because we can experience you in this moment. Lord, we thank you that we have the ability to be in this place. Not because it's comfortable and we like it, but because we have the ability to come alongside of each other and to be a community for each other and to be different because of each other. We thank you, God. Because of your word, we have the ability to love each other and to love those who are outside this church. We pray, God, that you help us. Help us in this moment to experience your power, your mercy, your love, and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.